Candy from Strangers by Mark Coggins is original, smart, and good to the last page, says best-selling author and executive producer of the hit TV series Bosch, Michael Connolly. Learn more about Mark and his other novels at markcoggins.com. Chapter 2, Madam Butterfly I almost tripped over her when I found her. I turned off New Montgomery to the alley where I parked my car, and the fog, the darkness, and the bulky base made it hard to see the ground in front of me. She lay face down on the asphalt as if she were embracing it. She had a white sailor's cap perched on the back of her head, and a silken cascade of ebony hair tumbled out from beneath it. She wore an oversized navy uniform jumper with a flap in the back, tight-fitting jeans, and a pair of red fuck-me pumps with four-inch heels. Even with the shoes, she wouldn't stand more than five foot one, and if she weighed over a hundred, somebody's big fat thumb was on the scale. But I had a feeling that the next place those statistics would be appearing was a police report, because she was lying very still, and it probably didn't have anything to do with sleep. I shoved the base against a chain-link fence that closed a gap between two buildings along the alley and squatted beside her. Pulling her hair away from her neck, I laid a finger along her cardioid artery. I may as well have taken the pulse of the Venus de Milo. I took hold of her left arm, which was stretched out above her head, and brought it back to her side. Then I gently turned her over. She was young and Asian, I guess Japanese or Korean, and her face was heavily made up. She'd ringed her eyes with thick liner, giving herself the Egyptian cat-eye look that Elizabeth Taylor had in Cleopatra. Her eyeshadow was the garish electric blue of peacock feathers, and her lips the glistening red of molten sealing wax. The uniform jumper was much too large for her, and she wasn't wearing anything underneath. An adolescent breast peeked through the v-neck, its pale innocence a stark contrast to the overreaching sophistication of her makeup. I caught a flash of color along her collarbone and eased the material of the jumper off her shoulder to get a better look. It was the tattoo of a butterfly. Not a simple, cartoonish-looking butterfly, but a beautifully executed image of an iridescent green and yellow swallowtail that I wouldn't have thought possible to render on skin with just a tattoo needle and ink. An odd pink band or ribbon wrapped around the butterfly flowed a few inches beneath it and then abruptly stopped. I couldn't tell for certain in the poor light, but it seemed as if the artist intended to do more with the band and had postponed the work for a future session. There were no marks or signs of violence that would indicate how she died. I tugged the material of the jumper back over her shoulder and stood up to look at her. I had no connection to the girl at all. She was from a different generation and quite possibly a different country, but somehow I felt like I'd stumbled across the body of my younger sister. I took a ragged breath and let it out slowly. At least I didn't have to go far to find the police. They were still out in force by the House of Shields. The ride to the San Francisco Hall of Justice on Bryant Street was a short one. 
and in less than 30 minutes, I found myself in a squalid little interrogation room in the basement. The only things in it were a scarred wooden table that had crushed soda cans under two of the four legs, a pair of metal chairs with torn vinyl upholstery, and a trash can overflowing with empty coffee cups, greasy pink donut boxes, and cigarette butts. There were plenty more butts scattered around the concrete floor, as well as several rusty puddles of water the size of beer mats. A uniform officer set me down in the chair on the far side of the table and sauntered out of the room with a knowing smirk on his face. He locked the door behind him. Minutes plowed by like migrating glaciers. I looked down at the cigarette butts on the floor and longed for a fresh pack. I ran my thumbnail along the initials carved in the table and longed for a knife. They'd taken mine at the door. I sorted the old movie tickets I found in my pockets and longed for the shows, even the horrible one starring a certain Latin bombshell and her on-again, off-again fiancé. I had just laid my head on the table to try to get some shut-eye when a noise like the space shuttle taking off reverberated overhead. I looked up in time to get smacked in the forehead by a drip of freezing water. A rusty five-inch pipe loomed high above me, dripping grimy, scaly-looking water from several places that exactly corresponded to the puddles on the floor. I blotted my forehead with my sleeve and yanked my chair over to the side, uncovering the puddle that went with my own personal leak directly above. I didn't have much doubt that the cops had put the chair there on purpose, and when smiling Jack Kittredge came through the door wiping his hands on a paper towel, all remaining doubt vanished. Sorry to hold you up, Reardon, he said, but first things first. I've been needing to pinch a loaf all night. He threw the wadded-up towel at the trash can, but it bounced off the mound of refuse already there. I'd never met Kittredge before, but I recognized him from his press coverage. He was an up-and-comer in the department, a smart, flashy-dressing cop whose arrest record was exceeded only by his publicity sense. I knew intuitively he was a kind of showboating prima donna I hated most, a guy who wasn't afraid to put product in his hair who carried around a hanger in his car to keep his suit coat from getting wrinkled, and who wore flip-flops in the locker room shower to protect against athlete's foot. I said, Is the department resorting to Chinese water torture to soften up witnesses before questioning? Kittredge laughed and went through the motions of straightening his already straight tie. It was a shiny silk number that looked like it cost more than I paid for rent. Oh, did you get hit? He said. We've been on the city to fix that pipe for years. The men's room is right upstairs, but it only leaks when you use one particular stall. A chilling coincidence. Kittredge pulled off his jacket and carefully placed it on the back of the other chair. He sat down on the last three inches of it and rested his elbows delicately on the table. Diamond chips in his cufflinks gleamed and the smell of designer cologne wafted over. Are you suggesting that I cause wastewater from a sewer pipe to drip on you on purpose? Ask me when I'm not in the city dungeon, and my answer doesn't put your Armani duds in jeopardy. Kittredge flashed the perfect white choppers that earned him his nickname. This is boss. Armani is for swishy hairdressers who polish their fingernails. You're a young man. Don't sell yourself short. There's still time for a beautician's license. Kittredge clamped his jaw shut. He pulled his arms from the table and crossed them over his chest. I heard you were a wise ass. Only when someone pokes a stick in my cage. 
What's with the juvenile intimidation techniques anyway? You can't possibly think I had anything to do with the girl's murder. A hundred people saw me in the bar and I talked to a police officer not five minutes before I found the body. It doesn't take long to kill somebody. Maybe the girl was hooking. And maybe she propositioned you. And maybe you have some hang-up about women because of the way your mother dressed you in frilly bloomers. You strangled her and then told the patrol cop that you stumbled onto the body. I felt my face go slack with a look that must have contained a sort of surprised wonder. Man, oh Manischewitz, you saw right through me. I'm not going to say another word until I talk to my lawyer. Kittredge brought up a hand to rub his chin. Heavy stubble on skin made a rasping noise I could hear across the table. He said nothing. But if I were going to talk, I continued, I'd say it was darn clever of me to strangle her without leaving a mark. And while I don't know exactly how the coroner's report will read, I'm betting it won't say she died within five minutes of the time I talked to the patrol officer. She was too cold. Kittredge shrugged. Then you killed her at your apartment before going to the bar. You transported her in your trunk to the alley and rolled her out on the asphalt after the riot. You were going to just leave her there, but you decided to get clever and play the concerned citizen. This gets better and better. I suppose your next move will be to get a subpoena to search my trunk for fibers to match the ones taken from the body. Well, said Kittredge, it would be easier for all concerned if you would just agree to the search. I snorted. It didn't strike you as the least bit suggestive that during Fleet Week with a thousand sailors in town, the girl just happens to be wearing the hat and jumper from what looks like a U.S. Navy uniform? Cracker Jacks, they call them. Like the kid on the Cracker Jacks box. Call it whatever you like. It shouldn't be difficult to determine if it's government issue. If it is, then it seems very likely your killer is a Navy guy. And since they only wear that kind of uniform on ceremonial occasions... I'm willing to bet your average swabby only has one. You just need to go around to the ships in port and find out who is missing the jumper and hat from their dress uniform. He smiled in a patronizing way. Interesting suggestion. Any other advice you'd care to pass on? You being the hotshot private dick and all. I'd check the tattoo. It doesn't seem like it's finished. Maybe the girl and her sailor friend went to a tattoo parlor to get his and hers tattoos while he was on shore leave and they had a spat or something. Anyway, one of the parlor operators might have seen them together. Kittreds narrowed his eyes at me. What? I said. Nice of you to pull her shirt off to examine the tattoo when you stumbled over her. Next you're going to tell me that the brand of underwear she had on was special. I pointed at him. You just said, when I stumbled over her. You didn't say, when I pulled her from my trunk. Yeah, well, it could be you don't work that good for the doer. But a street sweeper went by the alley at 11.40. You were the lucky recipient of a $60 parking ticket, in case you didn't notice. And she wasn't in the road at the time. The patrol cop says you came by at 12.25. So that only leaves a window of about 45 minutes for someone to have dumped the body. Well, it wasn't me. And you don't know the girl. Never set eyes on her. Kittredge nodded and toyed with one of his cufflinks. He flared the nostrils on his big beak of a nose and sniffed violently. Turns out I wasn't kidding about her panties. The label on them is in Japanese. The coroner hasn't looked at her yet, but one of the guys on the meat wagon has taken a few forensic dentistry courses. He says the fillings in her mouth aren't typical of U.S. dental work either. She's probably from Japan.
I take it you didn't find any ID on the body. Nope. We'll talk to the feds in the morning about Japanese women who are here on a visa and see what it gets us. To call her a woman would be pushing it. She didn't seem like she was much more than 16 to me. The paramedic says she's older. Two of her wisdom teeth have come in for one thing. He paused and looked over at me with cool, penetrating eyes. You ask me why we were giving you a hard time. I'll tell you. It's to prepare you for this message. But out. I can accept that a guy with a private detective's license just happened to stumble on a dead body in a dark alley in San Francisco. But what I will not accept is that same guy sticking his nose in the case to make money or generate publicity for himself. You're one to talk about headline-grabbing, Kittredge. Shove it, Reardon. I read those articles about you and the venture capital guy, Valmont, about how you played the hero in that winery up in Napa and saved his bacon. But don't tell me you would have had a three-month stay in the hospital if you'd involved the authorities at the right time instead of going it solo. You don't know what we were up against. There were lives at stake. Lives at stake? Does that include the guy you shot and the one you beat senseless with a phone book? I hear what you say about the Navy uniform and the tattoo. It so happens I agree with your conclusions and will be acting on them tomorrow. But if I so much as catch a whiff of you in or around this investigation from this moment forward, I will put the lie to your crack about damaging my suit and tear you from limb to limb, and then I'll throw the book at you. And I'm not talking about the yellow pages. His face reddened, and he was breathing hard by the time he finished. I stared at him for a moment and then held up my hands. I heard myself say, This is one I'll be very happy to stay out of, Kittredge. You can have my word on that. And I knew I meant it. He seemed faintly disappointed, but nodded just the same. Right. Next stop is the impound lot, where you damn well better give me permission to search your car. You have been listening to Candy from Strangers, a book Mystery Scene magazine described as crackling and whip smart. Find it in ebook or trade paperback wherever books are sold. In this podcast, it's read by author Mark Coggins. Learn more about Mark and his other novels at markcoggins.com. <laughs>